it's time for another episode of Stick Fork in It. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally, Matt Spence is supposed to be here, <laughs> but we're waiting on Matt. But we're going to go ahead and get started because he met this wonderful, dynamic change maker that I need to know so much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are so excited to have him on board today. We're actually at in his podcast. Yeah, on location. That's right. Sweet. Yeah, we're nice. waiting for ours. Dr. <laughs> Damon Friedman, welcome to Stick a Fork in It, and thank you. Well, I'm just super honored to be a part of the show. <laughs> really excited to finally meet you. Yes. I hear y'all are doing some incredible things. Thank I'm you. just I'm just ecstatic. Yeah. I'm ecstatic to be here. <laughs> we love right? that you're here. Yes. Right? And I I, I'm, I'm, what I'm really excited about, and I'm jumping forward a little bit is two really passionate organizations that are really dedicated Mm -hmm. to changing lives, Mm -hmm. not just plugging holes, Mm -hmm. not just making something available, making a real difference. Mm -hmm. But I want to get to know you first. You and I spoke a little bit, and I know a little bit about your work before we turn the mics on. Mm -hmm. But tell me about you, your childhood. You know, we are who we are from all of our experiences. So let's start from the beginning. Yeah. So um, I I totally believe that. Uh, We're we're a product of our environment. Mm-hmm. And I was born and raised in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, many people, they'll look at me and, um, and you know, they'll check my resume out and they'll assume that I had a pretty normal uh, upbringing or, or better yet, an upbringing um, that um, had some form of money of some sort. I, right. I get that all the time for whatever right. reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you that, that we lived in the melting pot lived in the projects, low-income housing. I lived in 14 different places in the first 12 years of my wow. life. And a lot of it had to do, um, my mom is a, a single mother, mm-hmm. uh, and we moved around because we had um, a very violent uh, biological father. Uh, and unfortunately, that's why we kept moving. We kept moving because we were running away from him, looking oh, no. for new opportunity. And it's another reason why we did live in low-income housing. It's another reason why mom couldn't hold a job working for $4.25 an hour, you know, doing whatever it took in order to, you know, put rice and beans on the table. Um, I'll tell you that L.A., that was hard. It was really, really hard. And it's, um, and it's interesting to go back because I do a lot of work out in California um, and just to see where I was raised and the challenges that somehow, someway – we were able to overcome. I want to say that, um, you know, every time I do talk about my mom, I always take this one moment. Uh, my mom is the first Wonder Woman of my life, a hundred percent. And um, the strength and the boldness uh, that she possessed and the way that she protected my brother and I and preserved us um, was just absolutely incredible. And the tenacity... Uh, the courage, the commitment, um, the warrior that I am, it began with her. It began with her showing me what is a real superhero. What does it look like to fight for freedom? What does it look like to fight against oppression? And that was my mother, Janet. Um, I love her so much, and um, I'm just so honored to be her son. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That is amazing. As a mom of three boys, I have chills. (laughs) What a beautiful testament. Mm -hmm. Raising boys Mm -hmm. as a single mom, which in my life I've done as well, it is some tough stuff. Yeah. Right? Raising successful young men. Yeah. You too. Your mom. Same (laughs) kind of thing. My mom is definitely a superhero. (laughs) She's a superhero too. So thank you for that. And God bless her. How, where, how is she doing now? She's doing amazing. She's, she's doing amazing. She, uh, remarried, 
uh, a man from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. all okay. right, that loves the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> and uh, he, well, he, we he, still love him. Yeah, I know it was a challenge. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus right. the, yeah, you Battle know, of the Green Bay for real Packers, you know. Uh, but no, he 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 uh, he married my, uh, my mom. She he took care of her, and uh, he helped raise us and show us what men are supposed to Wonderful. look like. Uh, he's also a veteran, medically retired. He was um, a medic. And then ultimately uh, got his nursing degree and then um, conducted the second chapter of his life to become a nurse at the VA and just recently retired. Mm. So he is definitely a hero to me, too. And it's just so cool to have mom and Lee, uh, my dad, I call him dad, uh, and uh, just just to help raise us up. And like you, (laughs) my mom had three boys. And so um, it was it was a handful for him, and um, but he he won because we were all doing quite well. Yeah, and it's amazing, and yeah. that is the truest testament of mm-hmm. all those moments you put in. You think you're not going to make it. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, when those teens hit, you know, you, they, you may be the, all their mom, but they're all going in different directions. That's I right. mean, God bless her, and right. God, what a gift it is, it even is. for me mm-hmm. to have. Um, my men, now I feel I have my own security team. I was yeah. theirs, and now that's they're right. mine. That's right. And that's really what it's all about. And exactly. I'm in the club with her. Yeah. I love it. And yeah. thank you for honoring her the way you do. I love what you just said, because we are the security team for mom. Mm-hmm. Like, we're taking care of her for the rest of her days. And she's, you know, uh, she actually, believe it or not, lives right down, literally, I think, about six or seven houses down the road from a you know private community where my brother lives. And my brother's doing extremely well. Mm-hmm. And he's also a testament of, um, you know, just the incredible, um, you know, life and story of what it looks like to come from nothing and to still figure out a way yeah. to come out on top. But more importantly, the way that he gives generously today mm. uh, because of his faith, because of his commitment, because he hasn't forgotten where he comes from. And so that's kind of really cool. So I'm sure that you're just as proud uh, as you're, you know, with your children as my mother is with ours. Mm. Oh, with hers. Oh, ours. I can't. Hers. I can't. Hers. Yeah. Ours. It's all of us. We're a whole family. family. Well, we're Hispanics. We're family. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We're Hispanics. So it's like we're all, we're all family. So yeah, you're making good. that Portuguese in me bubble up there too you go. There you're you talking. There it's you like, go. That's it's good. the fam. Mm-hmm. It's the fam. Um, so Matt, Spence oh, look, has look just walked just, in. Just walked in. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Welcome to the club. Brother. Guess who's it's back? Good to be here. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Maddie's good to see back. You. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So we um we're just starting hearing about the way he talks about his mom it makes me really proud to be one. Right. Mm-hmm. The boys mm-hmm. kind of a lot in common here, except he's from the kid end. But you know that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I don't know. That's yeah. okay. It so is. so if you is that your first mentors or your parents, your your mom and your stepdad, or is there somebody else that was in your life that helped guide your path? You know that's a really good question. I will tell you that uh, moving forward, I had a coach in high school. So what ended up happening was, um, in order to survive, I was hanging out with the wrong people. I became a juvenile juvenile delinquent. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom working eighteen hours a day, put you know, uh, w- w- just working hard to put food on the table. We were not around, or she wasn't around, and so we started hanging out with some bad people. So I'm in jail, and then one day, my brother and I are sitting there because we both got. Um, you know, we, we, we both got uh, arrested uh, for burglar. It's a long story. We won't get into it. But um, and we're just sitting there and we're just thinking there's got to be something more to life than all of this. Mm-hmm. So we were so poor that we were stealing, selling stuff in the streets. 
And the stuff that, and what we bought wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't like, you know, whatever it may be. It was clothes. It was food. It was, you know, right. the necessities. And I think that you can appreciate uh, that, especially I from the, the business that you guys are in right now, making sure people are fed and find hope yeah. through that process. And so we're sitting there in the jail cell and, and my brother and I are like, you know what? Every time we ever ran away from the cops, they never caught us. They never caught us. And we're like, you know what? Maybe we have a gift, <laughs> right? I mean, no, honestly, yeah. right? right? It was true. Absolutely. Like, I mean, we were fast, <laughs> right? And so as soon as we got out, um, we started running 10 miles a week, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 mile weeks. I remember one summer, I ran over 1,000 miles. <laughs> and after that, I remember step like after that summer, I literally stepped on that line and that cross country meet. I looked it to the left, I looked to the right, and I said, You all better figure out who's going to be second. Because <laughs> I'm the champ, right? I was a bit yeah. cocky. You know, I started getting cocky. And my senior year, um, I was undefeated in the mile. And, um, and, it, and, and, and my brother was extraordinarily fast too. We both became junior Olympians. We ended up getting full scholarships and we wow. ended up uh, first ones going to college. Now, you asked me who was my first kind of mentor beyond my parents. Yes. Um, my coach. My coach, um, it's my sophomore year, and uh, she's looking at me, and she goes, kid, you know, if you just focus, you can, you can really make something out of yourself. And I remember that sophomore year, uh, she trained me in the 800 meters. I was fifth in the state. Now, at the time, my mom moved from California all the way to Florida so we could start a new life. Again, a Wonder Woman. Who does that? Yeah. That packs right. up her 1972 baby blue, you know, Volkswagen bug, <laughs> which is the stuff that we have. And whatever was that we owned, fit in that, if it didn't fit in that bug, you know, with the little U-Haul thingy in the back that looked like, I don't know, the size of... It's like a know, pod, like yeah, a little yeah, pod, yeah, weird pod ones. Like, our whole life was right there right and then of course you know what does the 72 baby uh, blue volkswagen bug carry you know with the u-haul it's not a no. lot <laughs> right so we moved to florida and just thinking that that time when i finished and i was fifth in the state i remember my mom just she was just embracing me and she was like son you know you're making it you're doing something that yeah. none of us have been able to do and my brother continued to be successful but coach brenda hall was yeah. my, one of my mentors in high school, and she's the one that started helping me believe in myself. And, you know, you said something earlier on about hope begins when other people see that other people believe in them. Yes. Right? Because they don't right. believe in themselves, so they're in this, like, self-destructive cycle until one day somebody comes along and says, hey, I see you. Yeah. I see your potential. I see what you can do. Right. And I see something more than what you can see. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you it's not a lie. It's not like motivation or inspiration. It's truth. Right. And that's the very beginning of saying, you know what? It's time to take that first step forward. And I'll be right there. If you stumble, I will be there. Right. If you fall, I'll pick you up. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And um, so that's kind of like with my coaches, uh, played a critical role. And then just moving forward, when I went to college, finally, I'm just sharing this one piece. Mm -hmm. And that is, is um, I really was struggling with my academics. And again, people look at my resume. You know, I have a doctorate. I went to Harvard. You know, it's like, um, how, how, how is that possible? You know, I barely passed high school. You know, I, I yeah. didn't do very well in my academic classes. And then finally, I'm, you know, I'm at, I'm at the university, and my professor looks at me and says, Damon, I think, I know you're smart. Something's wrong. And then I got tested, and I found out I had a learning disability. So throughout my whole upbringing, I struggled. I failed a grade, kicked out of, you know, three different schools. I think it's second or third grade or whatever. I graduated when I was 19 years old. So I thought I was stupid. 
Right. I didn't think I was intelligent. You know, I, I, I didn't. But you know what? I couldn't figure out the X's and the O's and the, you know, like the ones and the zeros. Like, I got, I got, what's going on? And I got <laughs> tested. And all of a sudden, I found out what was wrong. It took me five and a half years to graduate. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Guess what? I ended up retaking a bunch of classes, and I ended up top five in my class. Nice. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, uh, student athlete of the year, and from there I propelled, and all I got was A's after that. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, Doctor uh, uh, Carney, and that is my psych um, teacher, and he was the one that said, "Your academic potential is extraordinary." Mm-hmm. I believe in you. It was the first. I just got chills. <laughs> you know, Matt, you told me you're going to get chills every I told few you. seconds I you. that yeah. he talked. I warned you. So somebody recognizing yeah. that you just learn differently. That's right. That's right. And that's why I tell people, you know, a lot of times they go, well, man, I just messed up. You know, I'm so late in life. Like all my chances and, and my opportunities are gone. I said, you know what you need to start, stop doing? Stop lying to yourself. I graduated, I think I was 25. I mean, you know, kids right. graduate 22, 23, you mm-hmm. know, like 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 25, mm-hmm. 24, right. 25. Come yeah. on, man. I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like, like I am. Right. Like, you know, and, and the bottom line is, is it's never too late. As long as you're breathing, honestly, mm-hmm. as long right. as your heart is still beating, you have an opportunity to fulfill your dreams. But I always tell people, check your dreams. Right. Check yeah. them. Because really, I believe 8 billion people in the whole world. And every one of us are called to transform the world, to be an unstoppable force for good. I believe that because if God can do what he's done in and through my life, I believe that he can do anything in anybody's life. It doesn't matter. I come from nothing, no money, no legacy, no heritage, no nothing, man. I'm a, I'm a no one. <laughs> and somehow, some way, I wake up one day and, and, and we're doing the work that we're doing. Oh, yeah. come on, man. That's why, they're, they're, that's why dreams do come true. This is yes. America. Mm-hmm. It really is. And if we could do anything in America, the question is, is what are you going to put your heart, mind, and time to? And I say, make sure that you're doing something that will change the world for good. Right. And the other side of that is take the time with your strengths to share them with someone else because you never know how you're changing the trajectory of someone's life because you're helping guide them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. our duty as human yeah. beings. Yeah, right. a billion right? percent. To yeah. be that influence. And it may mm-hmm. be something small, but to that person, it's the just that handout or mm-hmm. hand up, yeah. and the information is just takes them into their trajectory of their positive and That's wonderful right. life like you've experienced. Yeah. Well, yeah. that belief and that passion that you hear from Dave yes. as we're talking, right? That's, yep. You can see how SOF Missions does what it does in our community because that belief in the yeah. the power and the you know opportunity in each individual is mm-hmm. exactly what you spend your days mm-hmm. doing yeah. now is just unleashing that in mm-hmm. others right and that's awesome to see yeah, yeah. you know it, it's it's interesting about um there was a question that was asked recently about what you know what makes you happy and i'm hearing everybody's answer and I, i'm i'm in my 40s now right and I realize what really does make me happy. What makes me happy is, and we'll pause for a split second. I look back throughout my entire life. I cannot tell you how many people have helped me. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I can't. I cannot tell you how many people uh, helped me. Uh, there was a time when I was um, kind of homeless. I moved out of my house when I was a junior senior uh, uh, in high school. And I moved up to Jacksonville. And my coach, Coach Nowicki, who's another hero of mine, uh, man, he saw me. There were times that my car broke down. I was sleeping on people's couches. 
um, you know, just trying to run um, for a scholarship, and that was the best uh, school at the time for me. And I remember just pitching a tent right in the middle of the football field, and then the doors being opened in the back so that I could take a shower. I'm in high school. I had three different jobs. I finally made enough money to to have a, a studio the size of this this studio, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I just remember how many people helped me. And when I get an opportunity to do the same, that's when I find happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, happiness is not organic. You know, um, I'm a person of faith. Uh, I believe that you know God wants us to have peace and joy. Um, happiness is it, it, that's a different variable. And I think you you know there there how, how does one find happiness? I find happiness when I can help somebody that's so struggling, mm-hmm. and then one day they wake up and they're winning. Yeah, that's where I go. I did something right, and maybe one day that guy or that kid is going to be you know be able to do what I'm doing yeah. because somebody helped them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just say that for all the listeners, like where are you putting your time and energy? Where are you really finding happiness? Because I, I speak around the whole uh, country, and, and I had a chance to speak um, over in California, and I won't say the company. It was a $250, $250 billion company. And I spoke, I think, in front of 15 executives out in California, and I talked about purpose and hope. And over half of them came up, and they said, you have this fulfillment. Like, you have this joy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I make millions of dollars a year, and I'm so empty and I, I don't even know what it feels like to have what you call joy or peace or this happiness. How can I have that? And I believe that every person, 8 billion people in the whole world, we all have a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's a higher calling. And until we understand that, until we, we connect and we engage in it, we'll always be lost and we'll always feel a sense of emptiness. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is being able to find your purpose, being able to serve and engage in community and fulfill that, that's when people start feeling that peace and that joy and that happiness. Yeah. Those are just my two cents, yeah. Matt. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Right. I, I'm right there yeah. with you. One being open to it. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? So exactly. not only being influenced, but being open. Yeah. Like I'm 56 years old and that's my practice is to be, right? To be yeah. open to Absolutely. learning, to be open to opportunity. It, it never stops. It should never stop no matter how old you are or what you do or where you are in life. Be open to learning something from someone else. Why are you Hold looking at me like Did that? You, she said, yeah. she said yeah. that she's 56. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been sponsored by Oil of Olay for that's are, jeans, baby. Are, are you, I promise. Are, I'm thankful for my so. creators. I don't think so. I, 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 I think I think you're sponsored. But anyway, we could keep moving here. It's yeah. like you, yeah, you you can sell me that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you were like in your early 40s. But we don't need to get into no. that. No, no, that's okay. He says 40, and I was like, my son's going to be 34. Oh my, my oldest. Okay, all right. So that's I've good. had the journey. I've definitely okay. had the journey. But well, you know, you said something, Damon, though, that I think. Uh, just we hear this cliche all the time, right? That the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you understand why. Yes. And yes. When you meet somebody who understands why, you can just feel it just mm-hmm. oozing yeah. from yeah. them. And you're yeah. one of those people that you know what you're placed on this earth to yeah, do. That's right. And you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's something so inspiring mm-hmm. about that. And I think Shannon, you're so much the same way. Like the way you walk into a room and you just see, I need to tell that person's story. Yeah. People need to hear this and need to know about how this person has changed the world around them. Mm. Right. That you are inspired to go out and, and find widows and orphans and people who need help yes. and then give them the tools they need to help themselves. When you see people who are inspired like that, who understand their purpose for walking this earth, 
it is transformative. Yeah. And that's the thing when I uh, when I was telling Shannon, like, we need to get Damon on this podcast. I was like, just wait. You'll see. <laughs> he understands right. what he's all about and he understands his right. place in this world. And and that's the type of thing that it changes lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that, Matt. I love the way you 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 shared that. And and I think we talked about that as the two most important days. The question is, is how long will it take for you to figure that out? Right. Yeah. And, um, and the sooner you can figure it out, unfortunately, most of us will figure that out later on. And unfortunately, there'll be too many that actually find that out at the last days of their lives. Right. Unfortunately, when they actually are no longer moving, no longer talking, no longer keeping their minds busy, right. they're actually at that point where they're going to meet the creator and they're trying to figure out, did I live my life the way I was supposed to? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for sharing that. That's definitely a great reminder. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we've gone to college. We're gone to college, <laughs> and I finally. So and, uh, and you walk into your offices here. Yeah. Um, and you definitely were in the military. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So, How did you go from five and a half years? Yeah, come on, preach it, people, because five and a half years of college is better than four. Just let you know that. <laughs> so it's, right. it's loving the college experience, but the truth is, it's where you learned how you learned. That's right, Actually, and that's yeah. how you learned to succeed. Yeah, and I'm so we we are at a time. You know, we go back, and I, I have a son just a, a little bit younger than you, but people didn't approach things like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're labeled, mm. right? And yeah. it's, it, you have to come across. It used to be you had to come across someone who was thoughtful, yeah, about it. And yeah. so you found that person, mm-hmm. that one mentor who stepped into your That's life right. and changed that trajectory. Yeah. How did you end up in the military after five years? Yeah. So, uh, uh, my mom, uh, I remember she and I were sitting down and um, very important to mention this. When I was heading to college, I was very hesitant because I didn't want to fail. Um, I was very insecure and I really didn't think I was smart enough. I, I, I really didn't at the time. And I remember my mom talking to me and saying, Francisco, and yes, my first name is Francis, so try being raised in downtown L.A. with a name like Francis, okay? It's like a boy named Sue. All right? Johnny Cash, baby. And um, so you get real tough real quick. Anyway, and I just remember my mom saying this, and she's always just been this force in my life. Uh, she's just so strong. And I remember her looking at me in the face and saying, Francisco, when you go to college, you're not going for you. Now, my mom is from San Juan, Puerto Rico. My biological father, you know, I just recently found out that, um, you know, he was 100, he's 100% Ashkenazi Jew, so I'm 50% Jewish, and I found out a, a couple of years ago, didn't know that. Uh, so I'm a Jewish Puerto Rican, all right? That's uh, like Juan Epstein. Remember those days? <laughs> oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Uh, for all you out there, if you don't know, I'm dating myself moving forward. <laughs> uh, but my mom, she told me, you're not going for you. You're going for me. You're going for your brother. You're going for your cousins. You're going for your uncle, your aunt, your nieces, and for all your friends that never made it out of L.A. So when you go, you're going for them. So you have to stay strong. You don't have a choice. You have to walk away with a degree. You're the first one. Yep, you're leading. So it was emotional, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, that that was a pressure. That's a lot on your shoulders. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, not to say, like, you know, I mean, whatever the path is for, for someone, 
whether it's college or going to tech school or going into business immediately. It's just, I think from an Hispanic family that never had anything and college was not even an option until one day I had golden, you know, legs. Um, I, it was just, it was hard. So finally I graduate and my mom's crying and, you know, I'm getting this award and I got all these medallions and she's like, I can't believe it. My son is smart. I'm like, what you question? He's like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And, um, and so finally she asked me like, what do you want to do now? Now, for all the listeners out there, this is super important. Um, when we had no place to live, my country was there. When we didn't have food, our country was there. Mm-hmm. When it's time for an education, our country was there. So I made a command decision. I want to serve my country because my country had been serving me my whole life. So I decided to join the United States Marine Corps. I wanted to do it because I'm a patriot. I love my country. I've been all over the world, and I'm here to tell you, everyone who's listening, the United States of America is the greatest country throughout the entire world. We have freedoms and liberties that nobody has ever experienced. And I have, I'm so honored to have been able to serve my country, and I didn't do it for any other reason but because I felt that it was the right thing to do. Um, partially, though, I did join the Marine Corps for a particular reason. Because one day, I wanted to look at my biological father and not be scared of him. He was very physically abusive, mentally abusive, but physically, man, I tell you, he put his hands on my mom, he put his hands on us, and he was very, very um, violent. And I wanted to look at him, and I knew that if I was a Marine, I wouldn't be scared of anybody. And let me tell you something, (laughs) the Marine Corps is true. Yeah. When it comes to, we're going to break you down, <laughs> and then we're going to build you back up. Right. I'm telling you right now, they made me into a war machine. Yeah. I was a boy going in, and I came out a man, right? Yeah. And it's just like, it was crazy. I mean, to join the Corps was so extraordinary and so instrumental. And, and so I just, uh, it taught me so much. Uh, not to be afraid, to have confidence in a team and what you could do as a collective when you're one unstoppable force. I mean, think about it. The Marine Corps is known. You can have a machine gun position up on top and they're just mowing you down. We're like, the, and the, the colonel's like, go Marines. And we 100% confident. We're like, right we're going to win. <laughs> the bullets are hailing. It doesn't matter. We're going to win. Yeah. We're going to close with, we're going to destroy the enemy. And that was an attitude that I had adopted at that very moment, I absorbed it, and it's become my very essence of who I am as a human being, that there's nothing that we cannot do, yeah. Yeah. right? Especially when we're a team. Mm-hmm. That's why I joined the United States Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. So wow. then your path didn't stay in the Marines, though, right? Because you had some opportunities. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh-huh. No, we can't skip. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to understand what being in the Marine Corps was like for you. Mm-hmm. Because you've gone off. That is not... It's a noble life. It's we wouldn't be free like we are because That's of right. our military. Mm. But it's a it's hard. Mm. And that was where we'll go into why who you are today and what you're doing. Yeah. But I would like to touch on and you to share with us mm-hmm. what that journey was like for you mm-hmm. and maybe a few other folks so folks can understand. We we watch a lot of things from a distance. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of us are fortunate to run into someone who can really share that mm-hmm. story with us to give respect to where respect is due. So uh, just to kind of recap, I served five and a half years in the Marine Corps, and then I crossed over and I, I, I um, went into um, 
the Air Force Special Warfare. Um, in the, and, and we'll get into um, the idiosyncrasies of, of all these things, but I first started off as a logistics officer. Now, in 2000, um, I wanted to be in the infantry. We were not at war at the time. You know, I wanted to be a soldier. But as a Marine, you're a rifleman first, so it didn't matter. All of a sudden, 9-11 happens. Yeah. Do you remember where you were, Matt Spence? I remember exactly where I, I was. What were, you, what were you thinking, Matt? I was where homesick were from work, uh, and then I needed to be around people. So I went and sat at my friend Steve's house, and we watched, and we just, you know, were at a total loss as to what to do, how to respond. And uh, I... I will never forget sitting there in that moment and just wanting to be around people that I loved and trusted and uh, trying to figure out where we go from here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, and, and how did you feel? Angry. Mm. Yeah. Angry. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I thought I would feel other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was pretty close to it because at the time I was working for a United States Senator um, who was in the Capitol and had to be evacuated because mm-hmm. um, the, the plane that ended up hitting the Pentagon was trying to find the U.S. Capitol. Uh, so my boss was literally under attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, had a roommate who lost an uncle in one of the towers. Mm-hmm. So it hit very close to home, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and And I so appreciate your response to what your country has done for you because I didn't grow up um, with the sense that service was an option. It was a requirement. That's part of who I mm. was. Mm. And and both of my parents, you know, my mom was a teacher, my dad, social worker. Mm-hmm. And um, they served very directly within their community and I felt like I, I was already kind of on that pathway, I had that opportunity. And I, so I stayed there, but I had so much respect for the people who said, I'm going to go stop this from ever happening again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go pick up a gun and I'm going to go find somebody who hurt my country and threatened mm-hmm. my country. And I'm going to make sure that people who live under the same banner I do will never fear for their lives again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really appreciate what you just shared. Um, it's definitely, I live in an era where, you know, since it was not a war, uh, it was an option, right? It was just some something to do. Um, I, I don't think pat- in my lifetime patriotism uh, didn't exist the way that it did on nine eleven. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you the one thing that was good about nine eleven. Not that there's you know obviously being attacked since then. So it was like Pearl Harbor, um, you know. And uh, when we were attacked back then, the one thing that was a good you know what came out you know silver lining uh, of nine eleven is unity. Yes. And I, it just, it, it, it's like this, right? So all of a sudden politics went out the window. That's right. Right? It didn't matter if you were a Republican, a Democrat, white or black, gay or straight, whatever it is, right? Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're all one team because we're Americans. Yeah. Right? We are Americans and we're free. And the bottom line is, is that all of a sudden we put all these in, and nowadays, you know, it's so domineering, a lot of these issues, right? right? And so we're so divided as a country, far right, the far left, 9-11 put us together, and it's something that we need to remember, and it's unfortunate because even now when I travel all over, as a military speaker, people have forgotten about 9-11, yeah. that, that you, know, you know, we're adults, and we are living in a generation where they don't even know about 9-11, which is, which is it's just sad, right? Um, so when 9-11 hit, I just remember my commanding officer got us together and said, we don't know who did this, but whoever did is going to pay. All of a sudden, in 2003, I'm on the invasion, you know, get to um, 
uh, Kuwait and Camp Fox with my unit. And then all of a sudden, President Bush gives the green light. We go through Safwan and people ask, what was it like? What was it like during the invasion? I'm going to tell you something. It was the power of military might. And if you just walked outside and looked at the sun, at zero dark 30, that's the way it would look like. I mean, the bursting bombs, the explosions, the massive explosions, and all the dead bodies along the way. Anything that was out there that was moving died. Now, I share this because it's the first time I was ever a part of killing. It was the first time I ever saw a dead body. And I'm here to tell you something. Humans are not made to kill other humans. No. When I came back from that deployment, I was a changed human being. Um, if you, you know, I could sleep 12 hours easily. At that point, that was the beginning of insomnia. It wasn't just PTSD. It was just so much more going on. It was mild traumatic brain injury. It was, that's synonymous with concussion. The explosions, artillery, bombs, IEDs, all that brain shaking over and over and over again. I started getting flashbacks. I started getting like anxiety. I started getting like the depression in a way. Now I'll tell you that having a, a tough upbringing, there's a lot I went through, but war exacerbated everything. It was almost like it activated all of these terrible symptoms and they surfaced. Just ask, you know, ask, you know, my wife at the time, uh, you know, and she will tell you uh, what was going on. And yeah, that's when I started changing. Um, I went to Force Recon. Uh, they opened it up uh, at Second Force. I got selected. And then from there, I got recruited into Special Warfare. Special Warfare is a Tier 1, Tier 2 um, unit. Special Operations Command stood up this really elite uh, special tactics community uh, where they recruited r Rangers and Recon Marines and Special Forces and uh, SEALs. It was predominantly Rangers and Recon Marines. Uh, you know, that came in along with really talented people off the street, you know, uh, to join the unit. And, um, and that was 15 more years of capture kill missions. And I'm going to tell you something, if I wasn't deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan, um, closing with finding extreme terrorists and, and taking them out, I was at home and I was obsessed with it. There's something about war. There's something about war. I was never home mentally, emotionally. You know, it's crazy. I'm not going to get emotional, but I think about all of my brothers and sisters who served 20 years. I don't take anything away from veterans at all, like if they never deployed. But I'll tell you this, there's a big difference between 20 years of the military never deploying to combat and, and individuals that did deploy to combat, saw combat, experienced combat, and was involved in killing. It's just a different ball game. Yes. And, and, and yes. you know, because I'm going to tell you, you raise your right hand, you sacrifice. You raise your right hand, you're a patriot. You raise your right hand, you're committed. You did something that only 1% of Americans do. But I'll tell you, and this is just from my own personal experience, 20 years worth of war, I just, I would bring the war home. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a good dad. And I wasn't a good husband. Um, and I lost a lot of years. You know, it's one of the reasons why I did get out. Um, because I had to reevaluate what what is my love and what is my passion, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and we all have addictions, and war was one of mine, and um, you know, one day, uh, I, I was in 2019, and I woke up and I was in um, inpatient for three months, recovering from my injuries that I sustained. It was the third time I woke up in the hospital, in my career, from 
you know, MTBI, from, you know, uh, PTSD, from these medical issues that I was struggling with that I kept a secret. Um, and the majority of the people that helped me wasn't the Department of Defense. It wasn't the military. It was nonprofit organizations. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it's, and so, um, and just good people that are passionate about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm there for three months and then another nine months of outpatient. And finally, I'm at my 20 year mark and I'm like, I got to get out. Um, you know, here we're looking at this, this sheet here. Over 20 veterans take their lives every single day. Yeah. I remember coming back in 2010 and it was the hardest deployment. Um, and I remember being on top of that mountain and we're fighting, you know, over 100 Taliban and I'm with two special forces teams. And I just remember it's the first time I did not think we were going to make it. We were not going to get out. You know, not all of our boys were going to come home. And it was the first time I ever prayed in a way where I was like, God, if you're up there, I need you. If you're up there, this is the time. And I just remember it was like, it was just this extraordinary, it's like a miracle. And, you know, they say that there are no atheists in foxholes. And let me tell you something, sister, there isn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God answered my prayer and I was able to come home. And I experienced something that was not normal at all. And I'm in my living room and I'm looking back at it and I'm sitting there thinking about all of my friends that, you know, took their lives you know, killed themselves because they, they brought that war home and they, could, they couldn't reconcile it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, too many have fallen. And in that living room, I almost became a statistic. I was just dealing with some dark stuff. And people go, why would you even do that? Well, let me tell you something. When you're in so much pain, and when I'm talking about pain, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like a slew of it. It's not just PTSD. It's not just flashbacks. It's not just people, you know, we killed. It's not just a, you know, a, a difficult upbringing. It's not that. It's one day you wake up and you're, you have light sensitivity. You have headaches. You have nausea. You have bad dreams over and over again. You're not sleeping. And so you numb yourself and you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, and you're just numbing yourself. You got neck pain and back pain from all my jumping and, you know, free fall jumps and combat diving and demolition and carrying a rucksack and going to ranger school and freezing and just constantly fighting and fighting and fighting sooner or later you just want the pain to go away that's why people do what they do that's why veterans take their lives but in that living room I heard a voice and it was the same voice that I heard when I was in jail when I was a kid when I'm trying to figure out why does my life suck you know all I ever wanted was my life to be meaningful and I just wanted to be loved that's all I wanted and in that living room, I heard, I have, great, I have great plans for you. Plans to win and persevere. Plans to win and not lose. And that was my moment with God. I'm not a religious person. I'm just a person that experienced God. And I'm not afraid to talk about it because I'm going to tell you right now, 8 billion people in the whole world and the majority believe that there's a superpower and we call him God and he is good. And that was a radical life-transforming experience. And from that moment, everything changed. I've been talking for a little bit, so I'm taking a pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, um, I was going to ask you about being honored. You know, you, before you got to that place on that couch, um, you were a warrior. You were recognized for being a warrior. I want folks to understand that you are a decorated war hero a number of times over. Um, 
explain what it is to reach that level so folks understand what you're giving to be honored in that way. So um, Bronze Star, you mentioned Silver Star. Some people might not understand what that is. And I want that to be understood because then we are going to be taken back to you sitting on the couch mm -hmm. and God intervened for mm -hmm. you. It's it's To me, it's giving all that you've got and being recognized at the top mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know you're sitting on your couch and mm -hmm. so many of these um, men and women are taking their lives the Marine Corps being the top if mm -hmm. I'm correct right in suicide rate is it the Marine Corps um, I, I would have to look at the latest um, okay. I, I the last ones I, I checked was the army uh, okay. and um, but you know to talk about decorations uh, I have uh, when we discussed the silver stars and the bronze star medals and mm -hmm. you know and um I was uh, sharing uh, being a, in a room uh, with all these American heroes that mm -hmm. have received those awards, and I myself have received um, several of those decorations. But I have to be honest with you. I'm really no different than anybody else. I was at the right place at the right time, and I did the right thing, and I got an award over it. And I'm here to tell you that it's really unfortunate that many of our American heroes did not receive the same award. So I don't in any way think that I've done more. In fact, um, I'm very humbled by those that I know did more. Because, you know, we have uh, men like Mark Forrester um, who paid the ultimate sacrifice. We have guys like Nate Nelson who uh, received a, a round and left him as a quadriplegic. I will tell you that they have given so much more than I have. And so I'm just humbled to come home and still be alive and uh, be able to walk and, um, you know, have all my arms right. and legs. And, yeah. and even though I struggle with my cognitive issues, I mean, it's just a scratch compared to what many go through. Thank you. Thank you for that. Matt, do you have a question? Yeah, I just, I know that amongst those awards and recognitions, there was one that you received on the way out. Yeah. It was pretty meaningful to yeah, you. That one was, yeah. And it was a little bit different yeah. from the ones you earned in combat. Would you yes. like to share a little bit about that one? Man, Matt, that is the award I do like to talk about. Um, it's the Spirit of Hope Award from the Secretary of Defense. And wow. at the time, it was uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis. I remember um, I was at so Special Operations Command Central, and I was a deputy director out there. And um, one day... You know, they they walked up and said, hey, you're getting recognized for all the work that you're doing to combat the suicide epidemic within the active duty and veteran community. I was like, what? Really? I, are, are you serious? Yeah. And, and you know, it, it went through uh, General Thomas from SOCOM, uh, ran into him in the airport. And I'm like, hey, sir, thanks a lot for the, you know, for the signature, for the endorsement, for the award. And, uh, and then went all the way up to the Pentagon and yeah, I was the recipient of it. And it was so cool to fly up there and um, to be recognized um, that all the goodness uh, that our team had done. And I'm very quick to say the Spirit of Hope Award, which is a huge medallion. And unfortunately, only my name is written up on the fifth floor of the Pentagon. Um, but I was quick to share that this award belongs to the team. SOF Missions, the organization that was established in 2011-12, was established in Bagram, Afghanistan. Um, after uh, that 2010 deployment, I got 
help. And there were a lot of really good people that helped me psychologically, physically, socially, cognitively, spiritually. And then after a year or two, I found hope. And I redeployed, and I remember talking to Dana. I said, I feel better. What would it look like if we could help out other veter- other warriors too? She thought I was crazy to start a nonprofit. While but, active duty. Right? While active yes, duty. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't a choice. It's my calling. Um, and it's validated. So in 2012, it's established, and, you know, and, and we'll talk more about how it all started, but fast forward, I, I received this award, and it's the coolest thing, and I get to look at my mom and my dad, and again, we're talking about my mom. Ugh, she's the first, she's Wonder Woman, and she just looked at me, and I said, I'm the manifestation of who you are, in every essence, you know? I love my mom. I hope she gets this uh, podcast. She will. And... Uh, so she's there and my family's there. It's really the only award that I care about. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it, it, uh, it really validated the work and that we've been doing as a team. And uh, it's been the coolest. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that, you know, I want to make sure to give to my children, you know? So everything else can, well, mm. it doesn't matter to me. Tell us about your children real quick. So and your got, and your yeah. wife as well because we yeah. met her today and yeah. she's been by your side. Yeah, it's. I think it's tough um, every time I talk about my family because, um, and this should be a something that should resonate with all the listeners out there that are in the military. It's never too late to be a good dad or to be a good mom or to be a good you know son or daughter. Um, the most important thing is that you make a decision to do so. Um, you know, I shared earlier on that my faith is a is my driving ideology. Uh, uh, Jesus was the ultimate servant leader, and um, and I just try to really replicate his heart and passion for other people. But it begins in the home, and I'll be the first to tell you I missed a lot of good years with my son. Um, and, uh, he's 16 now. He's another driving factor of why I got out. Uh, and he's so smart and he's so strong and he's just, he's so gifted and talented. And it's just, it's tough to see that I was absent for many years. I have a daughter, she's 12, beautiful, intelligent. I was just writing a, a, a Valentine's Day card for her and it's a, it's a bunch of flowers and it says, I, I picked you. And I was very careful to say, you are intelligent, you are beautiful, you are, you know, kind, all these things, you know, um, but what's most important is your love and your heart uh, for, you know, for God, family, and friends. And I am super blessed. I really am. And my two kids are my treasures. And maybe I lost many years, but but I'm present now. Mm-hmm. I'm present now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's never too late to be a father or to be a mother. Um, you know, we have made some mistakes in our past. I know I have. Um, I struggle with a lot of anger and rage and um, I just wasn't really a good person. A lot of it I brought from my upbringing. A lot of it was the war. But you know what? It's never too late to make, you know, um, to right or wrong, right? Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time just investing and showing them the love that they rightfully deserve. And today they're doing really great. Uh, you know, my son is just doing really great. And my daughter's doing really great. And um, our family's doing really great. But it took a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, and um, and things are going very well. 
So, yeah. So let's bring Dana in. Yeah. Not to keep you upset. No, because, no, it's good. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah. But I think it's really important for people to understand yeah. Yeah. Um, your journey and where you are now. And then we want to know all about what's going on now because yeah. that's where Feeding that's Tampa right. Bay comes in. I know, in. I know. This Boy. is going to be part one and part two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? It is. Yeah. And that's okay. And Dana bridges this story, yeah. too, because half of it was created in Bagram. Afghanistan. The other half was on the other end of the phone, right? Right. That's right. As right. as yeah. you and Dana together. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, you know, she's definitely a perfect partner uh, for this. You know, I'm the visionary, right? Uh, I'm a former squadron commander in special operations. I you know I shared I was the director of future operations for the Middle East at Soxet, Special Operations Command Central. So I'm like this visionary, and so I'm used to having a staff, right, a team. So poor little Dana, she's my staff and my team. You know, I'm like, here's the vision. This is what we must do. And she's like, you mean this is what I must do? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're and, not here. Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, I, I, I got to give it to her because you know today where our organization is, I mean, she built the first website. She, you know, she was HR. She was finances. She was everything. And I'm the visionary. You know what I mean? I'm, right. You know, it's like you know, uh, and. Yeah, she, she really worked around the clock, and, and she's a teacher by trade. She spent 10 years in elementary. God bless her soul and all of you teachers out there. <laughs> yeah, Dealing with little Damons and Raymonds, that's my twin brother's name. And uh, yeah, so she was instrumental and, and continues to be instrumental in the organization. Uh, she's a vice president, I'm the president. And it's pretty cool that after you know, 11, 12 years, we're still together, and we're really doing something very powerful. Um, I want to take this moment real quick and, and we'll get back on, on target with this is, you know, for listeners out there, uh, especially you veterans or just individuals that are overly consumed about certain chapters of your life, many veterans define themselves by their uniform. And it's one of the biggest challenges that people have uh, when they transition out. You know, it's a uniform. They look at it it's like, now I don't know, like, you know, the institution, it's who I was, you know, I'm a soldier. I'm here to tell each and every one of you, you still are a soldier. That multi-cam or BDU, battle dress uniform, that, that, that uniform doesn't define you. It, it, it doesn't. It's just a uniform you're wearing in the chapter of your life. You know, for me, and I think I shared this with Matt, um, when I left the military, I had like the ceremony. And this is very important for all you listeners out there. And I hope that you can really appreciate this application and the, and, and the purpose of this. I took my multi-cam uniform off, Right. And I'm sure many of you have seen John Wick. We've seen John yes. Wick, okay? <laughs> and John Wick, you know, th- this is all black outfit, right? The kind that, you know, you could stretch in, kick somebody in the face, and yet, you know. Look great. Uh, look, yeah. look fly as heck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and still walk in and, you know, in, in high-end party there, right? Gathering. And I took that multi-cam uniform off, put all my war gear aside into a bag, and I put on that John Wick outfit. You see... When I was in the military, and listen to me, my veterans, my enemy were, they were terrorists. My job was to protect the innocent. My job was to fight the press. And we did it through the United States military, just like you. But now that chapter's over. Have I lost my identity? Absolutely not. When I was born, I was born to be a freedom fighter, just like you. That, that is a purpose that can never be taken away from you. So what I did was I found my new mission. My purpose is still the same. I'm a freedom fighter, just like you. My old mission was to capture, kill bad guys. My new mission is suicide. That's my new enemy. And so as I walk around in my suit, 
I'm always, I've got my eyes focused like a sniper through that crosshair. The suicide epidemic that's consuming families and destroying America. It is. It is the second leading cause of deaths last time I checked for adolescents of 10 to 33. It's the leading cause of death for many countries for men. It's becoming a very, very, very powerful weapon of the enemy. And that's why today, this is my new mission. You have to find yours because you're still a freedom fighter. Your purpose still exists. That's right. We're freedom fighters. Mm -hmm. That's what we are. And that's what we'll always be until the end. So I'm grateful to have great teammates like Dana and the entire SOF missions team to be able to work as a collective to close with and destroy the enemy, which is suicide. Thank you for that. Now tell us about SOF missions and what you're doing and yeah. how you're creating change, which is very measure, measurable change. Yeah. So SOF missions, uh, first of all, for many of you, um, the shield, when I was starting the, the idea of what, the organization would be named um, one of the greatest philosophers of all time um, and uh, who wrote many letters um, about his personal convictions about just, about justice, right? Um, his name was Paul. And in it, he spoke of a shield. And it was a part of his armor. And in war, you need a shield. And back in the day, during that time frame in the first century, that shield, when you exegete it, it is like a Roman shield, and it's used in a way where you don't just protect yourself, but you protect the brother and the sister next to you. Shield upon shield, work as a team. It's like the 300. That's now, right. we've seen the 300, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The Spartans. Mm-hmm. And so that's the second use. The first is to protect yourself. The second is to protect your brother and sister next to you. Mm-hmm. But the third was an offensive weapon. When the enemy would get so close, a thrust, a blow would literally shatter the ankles and the, and the wrists and the skulls of the enemy. And in it, I knew that in order to win, I've always had to have faith in my brothers as we would go in together against an overwhelming odd. Uh, the, you know, the odds were just, they, they were against us. So was Shield of Faith, SOF, missions. So Shield of Faith missions. I have faith in my brothers. I have faith in my higher power. I have faith in the mission that we're doing. That's what SOF missions represents. Yeah. So... I just need to make sure that everybody understands that the name isn't just a name. Right. It's got power in it. It does. So when we were organizing, it began first as a, a missions organization, humanitarian missions. And we were traveling all over the world. And I would deploy about 20, 10 contractors of healthcare professionals, uh, construction workers, and, and just people of particular skills based off of the mission set that we were going to, and 10 veterans, active duty, predominantly in special operations back in the day. And we would deploy to some of the, you know, to the Amazon, to the Andes Mountains, uh, to the Philippines, Honduras, Guatemala, uh, Haiti, during the catastrophic events that would happen. And so we use this as a healing tool, right? Yeah. And, um, and I remember one mission in particular. We raised about $42,000. We went to the Andes Mountains. Uh, ten of us were soft guys, basically. The other ten were contractors. And we provided, we rebuilt three orphan homes. We provided medical care for 700 orphans and widows and 1,000 people with, uh, with a month's worth of food. And on top of that mountain is, is I remember, K.A., we're just doing his initials, Green Beret, shot twice, building fell on him. Guy was bad to the bone. He's carrying a big bag of beans over his shoulder, and he's, and he's walking up the mountain, and all of a sudden, I heard that voice again. And it was that time to transition and to take this mission back to our country. 
what would it look like where healing would be more than just social and spiritual? What would it look like if I could actually heal my own community, not just by tens or twenties, but by hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands? And that was the beginning of going back. And we were able to, the first step was to create awareness. And we were able to partner with other organizations, um, Greg Laurie from the Jesus Revolution film, his team got together with me and we raised basically a million dollars worth of funds and resources and we created a film called Surrender Only to One. We won six national awards and it was highlighting the suicide epidemic, which we still show today, um, and it created awareness. I'm on a nationally syndicated radio show. It was an angry Vietnam uh, era a veteran, angry. He's like, all right, so Damon... And he was kind of sarcastic, <laughs> right? You're you're making this film. Great. You're going to talk about us killing our... What are you going to do about it? And at the time, I was like, well, you know, there's all these great resources. The thing is that most people don't know about this epidemic. It goes, but you know. You know about the epidemic. What are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, you got this. You got that. He's like, no, I'm asking you. And he was mad. I'm like, are we editing this? <laughs> I mean, and he's like cursed. He's like, bleep, 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 bleep. He's like, if you give a bleep, bleep, you're going to do something about it. And that night, I'm at home. I go back to the hotel. I was in California, and it was just this restlessness. Just like, uh, uh, what's going on? And I'm praying. I'm like, God, is there something that you're not telling me? And that was the beginning, the medical care that we're going to provide. I just believe that in order to get from point A to point Z, you've got to go through the process. It's not just something that I was ready to do back in 2012 when in Bagram, Afghanistan, we started the organization. There had to be shaping, crafting, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in order for me to be prepared to do what I'm doing today. And that was the beginning of what we have today as our main deliverable, our Be Resilient program, where we have medical clinics. We have now retreats that we're launching all across the state of Florida and soon in California. And we have this training, this Be Resilient training that really talks about the foundation of these major issues that are the root cause of suicide. And so that's where we are today. And that's how it started. That was the inspiration. And we're now doing incredible work right here in Tampa Bay for yeah. not just the state of Florida, but for the United States. So, you know, Matt, innovation strategy, yes. you have your pillars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm, I'm now part of his team on some of that stuff, and I, I'm actually learning so much from him really every day. What is your approach? You have pillars of your approach to the care of those that you're yeah. taking care of. Tell us a little bit about that. So our approach is systematic, right? Interdisciplinary. And the deal is this. This is our mission statement at SOF Missions. We empower warriors to find purpose and be resilient. I cannot believe that anybody's ever going to find any type of form of peace or hope in this world if you don't know what your purpose is. Yep. Uh, that's a billion percent, yep. right? You can make all the money in the world. We talked about this. I mean, you know, uh, like, I, like I shared, I, I speak all over the nation, and, and most of these people that I talk to are extremely wealthy, and they're absolutely empty. They are empty, and they're trying to figure out where they can find, they can squeeze out just a drop of joy, a little drop of joy, drop of peace, right? And, um, and for us, we just realized that in service, That's right. you serve people, then you start garnering their trust and you gain credibility. Mm -hmm. I believe that if you really care about somebody, you're not going to talk. You're going to do it. We have too many people out there talking about the major issues going on. We have professional athletes. All they do is talk. You have politicians, and all they do is talk. You got people of great wealth, and all they do is talk, but they don't do anything about it. Right. 
I don't need to hear one more person talking about, oh, let's help out veterans. I'm going to ask them, what are you doing to be part right. of the solution? Yeah. Don't talk about like, it's almost like, is it a hobby to talk about it? Oh, look at me. Look at how much I care about the veteran community or homelessness or people that are, are going hungry or, you know, sex trafficking or, you know, addiction or whatever it may be. What are you doing about it? Right. So for us, we're serving our veterans and the way that we do it is we're providing this holistic model. It's psychological, it's physical, it's social, it's cognitive, and it's spiritual. And we believe that if we can just take care of the foundation of humanity, everything will come together for good. All right? Mm -hmm. By understanding their purpose and becoming resilient, they can be the individuals that God's called them to be. And so it is there. So we provide this medical care, and it's not just psychologists or social workers. We're, I'm going to take a pause on this one and kind of go a little bit. Um, the suicide epidemic, everybody throws talk therapy at. But the mm -hmm. issues are so much deeper than that. There are so many years that all I did was forced to, be t to talk about my trauma. But the deal is, is that trauma is processed in multiple domains. It's not just psychological, it's spiritual, it's cognitive, it's physical. It's, and so we have to understand that humans, in order to really treat these issues, in order to combat the suicide epidemic, you have to treat humans in every one of their domains. So that's what we do. So we have not just psychologists and social workers, but we have physical therapists, we have chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, we have uh, nutritionists, we have strength conditioning coaches, we have, um, I mean, the list goes on, cognitive therapy, we have social reintegration, adaptive golf, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we've got, you know, storytelling, the whole thing. And it's almost like a buffet, which we, what we do is, is we introduce them to all of this stuff, we do full assessments, mind, body, and soul, and then we figure out socially as well, because we're, we're called to be uh, in community. And then we figure out where all their holes are. And then we start slowly applying that care for them. And after like a five-day intensive where they stay at a, at a resort-like environment, because mm -hmm. when I was in the hospital, it wasn't fun. People there loved me. They took care of me. I'm a, I'm a war fighter. But do you know what it's like to sleep on a little bed wrapped in plastic? I don't know about you, but last time you were in the hospital, you ever been in the hospital before? Uh, yeah. Of course, yeah, you had three yeah. babies. Oh, yeah, how was and, and I've been in more than that, but yes, yeah. no. Yeah, but how, how's the food? Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, seriously, God like you're bless them, caught. it's not great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, that and being woken up every few hours just because. I know. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Checking in. I know, it's like, I'm still alive. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, it's like the I'll hospital. you know if I need you. Doesn't the machine tell you this? Yeah. Right? yeah. Just leave me alone. What is all this for if you've got to open up? So, yes. So, it's an environment that nobody's really like, you know, it's not fun. Um, and so a lot of our guys and gals don't like to go to the hospital for the care that they need. Yeah. So we kind of create an environment where it's very welcoming. It's very mm -hmm. serene. And, and so a lot of men and women feel uh, as if this is, this is a good opportunity to capitalize on, especially uh, the amount of money that we invest in each and every warrior. And after this full five-day intensive of figuring out what they need, we immediately start applying the care. But then we do this for one complete year. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. We forget that if we are, so a lot of the guys will come, like I, when I was in, the, in a three-month inpatient, um, I got institutionalized. And then as soon as I came home, the war was still there. The whiskey was there, the gun was there, the angry spouse was there, the kids that were pissed off were still there, assuming it's, to a lot of warfighters, their wives aren't there anymore. Yeah. Their kids are gone, right? right? Uh, you know, the money issues and all that, it's all there. So that was, I became very vulnerable at the time, and then I started going downhill again. And I'm thinking, man, like, my life, this is not good. I, where I was, 
I mean, at, at least it was a safe space, right? So the reintegration back into their own lives is key. So we have a team that travels through. It's like, look, everything bad that you left. When you left, most of them are like, I'm going to put a bullet in my head. This is like my last shot. It's all still there. You're not going to go back and everyone's like, oh, dad, you're home. Everything's yeah. fine. Your kids are going to run full speed. Like if that happens, man, then you're just one of the very few, right? But most right. of us, we go home and the darkness is all there, right? Yeah. So we have to, so the reintegration back into community is very important. The tools that we give to them, the equipment that they need to fight PTSD, chronic pain, insomnia, moral injury, and all the other issues that's going on. We give it to them, and then we journey with them. We give them a new squad of veterans that also go through the program. And then that one complete year, mind, body, soul, and spirit, all of it together, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's super important that we address it. And that's how we do it, and that's how we win. That's right. Right? So, I mean, we talked about the holistic model, the interdisciplinary approach, and the importance of working as a collective, which is one of the things that I'm looking forward to feeding Tampa Bay. Yeah. You guys are so passionate about making sure that people are taken care of, and you understand that feeding is just one component. It's the gateway in order for what? For you guys to serve them even greater. That's right. So they can radically change and transform their lives. And that's kind of the way that we do it, too. So we have a lot in common. We, we absolutely do, which is yeah. like... Uh, Great minds think alike. So Matt, you know, we are getting ready to really unveil a new strategic plan. Yes. Uh, we have a just state-of-the-art gorgeous facility that will be opening in May. Mm. Um, so collaboration is a big part of what we do and thoughtfully aligning ourselves with folks who have the same goals. Mm. So now you two take it over and tell us about how we're going to work together in the future. What it, What is the future for those Here's, veterans in our community, actually, that mm, we see that right. can't support their families and their children, which to me is a travesty from someone who's given their life, much mm -hmm. of that you've explained, mm -hmm. um, that they can't feed their kids. Mm. Here's the beautiful part about what Damon just shared, the, that holistic approach. That's exactly what we've been talking about. Right? Yes. That's exactly where we're headed. And the reason I was late today is because I was giving a tour of our still under construction new facility. Mm -hmm. And when you walk through you understand that is a purpose-built space yeah. to do exactly what Damon was just sharing, mm -hmm. yep. to take care of the entire human being, mm -hmm. right? To recognize that person as someone of dignity and mm -hmm. worth and value, and then to have them lead mm -hmm. through the process mm -hmm. of healing, of progress, of exit velocity towards something better. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how we want to approach feeding our community from today forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that when someone is in need of a meal, that meal will be there for them, right? We've been doing that for 40 years. Mm -hmm. But there has to be more than that. Mm -hmm. right? There has to be more than just inpatient care mm -hmm. and we'll make you sit in that silly wheelchair and mm -hmm. roll you out to the parking lot and then mm -hmm. stand up, good luck, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be more than that. And Feeding Tampa Bay over the last five years has been building this momentum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've been doing more and more and wrapping services and other opportunities around that experience of coming to a table and saying, I need help, I need food. That takes so much courage for a veteran to sign mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. for an SOF missions mm -hmm. event, for someone to come in to a Feeding Tampa Bay yes. space mm -hmm. and say, I need help. And it, it is our responsibility to say to them, 
let's figure out all the ways we can help. Right. That's good. Right. We're not just going to target this one thing. Yeah. Right. The the most painful symptom that caused you to show up in front of me today. There's a whole lot underneath. Yeah. That. Yeah. And so we're going to work on all of that and yeah. we're going to walk it with you yeah. to your point. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the exactly. part mm-hmm. that I love about SOF missions is it's holistic, mm-hmm. but it also recognizes that this is a journey. Mm-hmm. Right. Someone doesn't snap their fingers and fall into food insecurity and Mm -hmm. then snap their fingers and emerge from it. Right. It's a journey. Right. Yeah. And the same with PTSD and uh, suicidal ideation. That's a journey to get to that point. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen in a Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And the journey out is going to be just as challenging. Right. And so the, the courage to, to raise your hand and say, I need Mm -hmm. help Mm -hmm. is the moment for us to step in Mm -hmm. and walk alongside. Right. And so Damon does that in a very real, very, you know, face-to-face, visceral way Mm -hmm. with SOF missions. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to say the same level of care and intensity Mm -hmm. and uh, dignity with which Damon approaches an individual warrior. That's how Feeding Tampa Bay is going to approach an individual Mm -hmm. who comes to us and says we need help. And many of them are veterans. Yeah. Right? Because if you have financial insecurity and you have mental challenges from all the things that you've experienced and the trauma Mm -hmm. and all of that, that's often what is underlying that food insecurity. Right. Right. And so there are things that Feeding Tampa Bay can do well, Mm -hmm. but what we know is that only a few of the services that are necessary are we going to deliver ourselves. Right. We have to partner. Yeah. We have to be able to refer to trusted organizations. Yeah. And we're building out mm-hmm. that platoon, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, that network that of network like minds. That network of yeah. like minds who are doing the same things. Mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So if a veteran comes to us and says, yes, I need a meal. Yes, I need a bag of groceries. But you know what? I was sitting on that same couch as Damon was. Mm. And I'm suffering. I know without a shadow of a doubt, if I call Damon and say, this, we, yeah, we this veteran yeah. needs you, you'll yeah, be there. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it will take for us to transform our community. Mm-hmm. And we'll do it together as Feeding Tampa Bay and SOF Missions. And all the partners you pull in, we'll pull in other partners. Right. Yeah. And, and we just know that if somebody shows up on your door... Yeah. We'll be there to provide yeah. food and yeah. whatever other resources we yeah. have. Mm-hmm. And if somebody shows up at our door, yeah. you'll be there. That's right. And and so there's so many opportunities moving forward. And there's so many other great purpose-driven mm-hmm. warriors, yeah. freedom fighters yeah. out there, to your point, mm-hmm. that are walking alongside yeah. us on this pathway. And so that's what this new building really symbolizes, mm-hmm. right? A lot of that space is not our space. Mm-hmm. We were talking, and and I mentioned to Damon, down the road, if he wants to gather mm-hmm. his warriors, yeah. mm-hmm. we'll have the place. Yeah. Right. If he wants to align a bunch of services, mm-hmm. we'll have the space for yeah. that, and we have the partners for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many reasons we will tie together and work mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. that it just makes so much sense to, to stand shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, lock yeah. shields, right? Yeah, I love like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think about when you said when you started with the military and you started with the Marines and you mm. gathered and you learned how to work together and yeah. you found that success. Same mm. thing when you were going through your own stuff, gathering together. And now that's what we're doing as a whole organization, mm. right? That's right? Is bringing all those powerful, committed organizations and people together 
for that same goal, right? Is stability. That's right. Worth. That's purpose. Right. That's right. That's right. right. I'm so. Yeah. <laughs> I've only cried twice, you guys. So yeah, and I don't know if I'm done yet. Either, well, but. I, I think you know one of the things while you were sharing, uh, the foundation of our education, I think, is actually the most valuable of everything that we do. Yeah. There's a lot of hands-on, right? There's the retreats, there's the clinics and stuff, but it's, it's, it's actually empowering when you understand uh, thoroughly the issues that you're dealing with. So I really believe that with, um, you know, with your organization, Feeding Tampa Bay, uh, our education that, that, that is validated through evidence-based research, this holistic, we, we call it the eight tenets of brain health, Right, yeah. um, and and the actual manual that we developed was um, be resilient. It originally was called a path to restoring brain health, but now it's more of like a path to you know empowering human human um, performance. <laughs> and I really believe that with a lot of people that are struggling uh, with food, have gone through their own wars in life. Yes. That's right. Right. It's, you don't have to go to Afghanistan or Iraq to go to a war. All you have to do is be homeless. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm telling you, it, it, the streets are tough. They're really really tough. But our, our education, the Be Resilient training, I think would be something that we would love to be able to share. Um, and it's empowering to the individuals. This comes with um, videos and all sorts of you know education that a lot of people don't know what's going on. And it deals with PTSD. It deals with moral injury. It deals with MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury. We, our sleep uh, education is state of the art. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in America, it's, it's one of the, the, the number one modules that we have in corporate America, not just in the military, in the nonprofit space is sleep. You know how many people are struggling with sleep? We have this one module. It's called the Ten Commandments of Sleep. If you do these ten things, you're going to sleep like a baby. We have no idea how we're self-sabotaging our own sleep. Like right. the simplest things, you know, that disturb us from actually reaching deep sleep, right? And, and so we've got the the sleep, we've got pain management, we've got fuel, we got exercise, all that stuff. I really just believe that we package all this together because it doesn't exist. But more importantly, how they're interconnected. That's right. Mm-hmm. How they're all interconnected. Yep. You need these eight things are the are, are the very things that empower human beings to be the best version of themselves. It's not just one. That's why I'm I'm very leery of anybody that says all you have to do is go to cognitive processing therapy and everything's gonna be fine. It's not true at all. Right. No. I mean, tell me homelessness. Like, do you think that they suffer concussions? Absolutely. Yes. You, yeah. Of course, they've seen some some pretty traumatic things. So they may have PTSD. They may. There's definitely some type of post traumatic stress. But do you think that they might be having existentialistic crisis? Like I did when I'm talking my psychologist saying, why would God allow this to happen? And then my psychologist, who is an incredible psychologist, says, well, we don't really talk about God here at the VA. Like, you know, like stuff like that. Like, that makes yeah. no sense to me, right? Right. And, but, there, you know, then we have addiction. We have all the alcohol. We have all that stuff. Like, it's it, it, the stress management. A lot of people don't know how to manage their stress. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so it's these kind of things. So the education is like probably the most important component every time anyone comes to the clinic. It's like, okay, we're educating you. Now you know. It's like, Boom. Yeah, exactly. Now I know like why I can't sleep. And I mean, it's simple things like just simple things. I'm just going to take like three seconds on this. Right. It's like, did you know that if you eat super late, you're going to disturb your deep sleep, deep sleep, deep sleep is the most important part. It's what keeps you young. It's what produces human growth hormone. You must get a lot of deep sleep, by the way. I don't, I really want your commandments of sleep actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, um, it's the time where it uh, reconsolidates memory. It's where you physically heal. And that's why most people stop, uh, stop, um, healing, uh, because they stop producing all that. They're not hitting deep sleep. It's stage four. So if you eat three hours before bedtime, you 
you hinder your deep sleep. If you drink alcohol within three hours before you go to sleep, you and you you disturb your deep sleep. If you like, if you work out three hours before, and I was doing this overseas while I was operating, I would literally like operate. I'd I'd eat, work out. No, I'd work out, eat, and then go to sleep immediately, and wondered why I never got any good sleep. Like those things, like the temperatures, the the light, the sound frequencies, like all this stuff. The blue light. It's not just one thing. It's like ten different things. It's messing your sleep up. If you do all those things and then take a little bit of melatonin and some uh, magnesium that's pharmaceutical like grade, you're gonna go nighty night. <laughs> and it's crazy. So I have those two things, but I yeah. need all those other. That I'll give you. Listen, we're gonna give you a whole lot more. They come in videos, and they're funny because I'm in it. All right. So. <laughs> well, and you know what I love about that is it, is it takes something that seems simple, but people get wrong. Oh yeah. Over and over and over, uh-huh. and something that really opened my eyes Mm -hmm. in a very similar way was when we started really diving deep into nutrition education. That's right. Because Samantha Wally, our Mm. our leader in that area Mm. is Mm -hmm. incredible about explaining how trauma informs and interrelates with Mm -hmm. people's food choices and people's decisions about Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. they eat and how they approach food. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just, Hey, we're going to throw a bunch of fruits and vegetables at yeah. you and everything will be great. Right. 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 No. So we need to understand your relationship to food and yeah. why you make the choices mm-hmm. that you make and how we can move with you through mm-hmm. that to a better place. Mm-hmm. And, and I see so many similarities with the work that you do because mm-hmm. you dive deep enough to truly understand what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And then you work your way back up to health and wellness right. and wholeness and right. purpose. Right. You know, it's, it, it's interesting with the self-destructive cycle, with the choices of just food alone. Right. Right. So uh, one of our tenets is intake, right? It's, it's um, a fuel, we call it. So like you are what you eat. So it, it's crazy. Like, well, when I'm depressed, this is what I eat. Yeah. And then all you're doing is you're just, or this is what I drink. This is what I eat. And all it does is it fuels inflammation. It causes, you know, increase of weight. It, it causes like disturbance of sleep. It causes like all this stuff going on. And then before you know it, you're lethargic. And then you have more excuses and you just keep doing it. When all you have to do is just have a, have, have a responsible relationship with alcohol if you're going to drink, right? Um, you know, have a responsible relationship with food, right? You know, it's like, it's amazing. Well, I only eat a certain amount of calories and it's all extremely terrible for your brain and your body. Right. 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 I was like, I'm only eating like a thousand calories. Like, well, you're just, you're, you're, starving you're, your, you're, you're, you're your just, you're basically dying. <laughs> so I think like with nutrition, it also changes the chemistry of your brain. It also, I mean, it keeps you young. If you eat, you know, you don't have to eat like, I don't know. I have to watch out because I, <laughs> vegans and stuff, you know, it's like, I'm not eating tofu. I'm not eating tofu. Okay, humans are made to eat meat. Okay. Anyway, for all you vegan people out there, I'm sorry. I hope you don't hate on me. But anyway, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, it's making sure that you're responsible with your consumption. That's, right. that's pretty much it. Right. Because I, I always tell this, right? We're like NASCAR cars, right? Um, I travel at 210, 220, 250 miles an hour. I do. But there's this like, you know, there's this pit. What do we call it? the the pit boss? Is yeah. that what you call it, or is it the yeah. is it what do, what do you call them? You know, in NASCAR is like they're calling yeah. you in. It's like, hey, yep. hey, your your temperature is too high, your RPMs are too high, or it's time to change your tires, or if you keep you know traveling this speed, you're gonna have a combustion explosion, right? And you got like dirt and gnats all, all in your windshield. Well, you know, pit boss is like, you need to come on in. Yeah. Most of us just go ahead. We bypass what the pit boss is telling us to do. And we just keep traveling. And before you know it, we're at 250, 240, 210, 180, 160. We explode and 
now our car's broken. Sometimes we just gotta just take a take a break. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And get a get a bumper to bumper. And that's what our resiliency program does. It's like, all right, look, we want you to travel at Mach One. For you to not even think that you're not you you can't do that anymore is blasphemous. You can't. It doesn't matter about age. Life is hard, but you can be harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my birthday a couple days ago and I did something I never do. I took a break. I'm listening to my own advice. <laughs> and I did. And, hard. And, and, it's funny how well that works I know. when you do, right? And, and every year I do this one workout. It's called the Filthy 50. And if you check it out in CrossFit, I mean, it's a doozy. Oh, it's a doozy. You ever heard of the Filthy 50? No. It, I mean, I hope it just scares you to say it. Does. it. <laughs> well, just the, yeah. The Filthy 50, okay? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's 50, um, you know, it's 50 reps of 10 different exercises, right? And it's back to back to back to back. It's, it's, I'm telling you. And every year I do it. Every year I do it. I'm getting older and older, and I'm still able to do it. Maybe I'm not as fast as I used to be, but I'm sure smarter. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because my times. <laughs> That's right. It's interesting because my times are just about the same as it was even five to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that I'm not going crazy in the beginning. I'm very methodical now. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I'm the tortoise. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I'm That's the tortoise. Right. I'm not. Right. I'm not the rabbit, right? And and so you know, I always tell people. But if you really want to move as fast, if you want to be as strong, if you want to be as smart then you have to take care of your NASCAR. You got to take care of your machine, mm. right? Put some jet fuel in it. Do you want to travel? You know, like, uh, what is the the Pinto? Is the Pinto still <laughs> the around? Pinto. You know what I mean? The Yugo? Are you a Yugo? <laughs> are you a Ferrari? Google that, folks, if right. you don't you know, know what, what I'm saying? Is. Yeah, am I dating myself again? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'm like, hey, man. And I'm, <laughs> the Pinto, let's just explain that. The journey of the Pinto is eventually they blew up and they stopped them. That's right. Period. That's right. They had to stop right. producing. That's right. That's right. They were cute and all, but no. That's right. That's right. So I, you know, I, I, I'm an older, like, I'm going to show my age right now. I was born in 1975, right? And if I say, if I say, well, you know, if you were to pick a car, what would it be? I'm just going to, for the sake of simplicity here, I'm going to choose Ferrari. All right. So I'm a 49 year old Ferrari. You know, there's a lot of Ferraris out there in the junkyard. You know that? Yeah. Rusted, mm-hmm. right? No tires, no nothing. In fact, just, you know, unable, not even running, right? But there's a lot of Ferraris made in 1975 that can still travel 210 miles an hour, and they're glorious. I mean, you look at it going down that road, and you can hear it just purr, right? right. And it's beautiful. And it's and you'd rather have that gorgeous, immaculate, uh, incredible automobile than a 2024. Well, you can be that too. And I tell that to all the guys too. You could still travel at 200 miles an hour, but you got to take care of your machine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. so I, and I can look at somebody yeah. who's barely making it from the street and say the same thing. That's right. Because I was there. I understand what it's like, right? All you have to do is take care of yourself. You could be the best version of yourself today than you ever have been because you're older and you're wiser mm-hmm. and you're smarter right. and you're not going to make the same stupid decisions as you did before. Anyway, I can sit all day and motivate and inspire for all you <laughs> listeners out there. I really, really mean it. It's coming down from my heart. Well, and I think it's important too to know where you know we're talking about all the folks that need help, but what about these listeners out there that can mm-hmm. help? Mm-hmm. That's right? right? That's right. Listen to what we're saying, listen to what mm-hmm. we need. Listen, we need help yeah. to lift. So if you have a heart for it, you need to yeah. reach out either to your organization yeah. or reach out to Feeding Tampa Bay because we'd love to have you join us. Yeah. To lift the community. We're not mm-hmm. just putting food on plates, which is important because right. you can't go without having the right foods, right? right? But we're lifting folks into their purpose. You know, I, I would like to make a pitch real quick mm-hmm. uh, for support because this is super important. I do this all across the nation as a, as a professional speaker. You know, I'm going to tell you right now for all you listeners out there, there are two, two messages, all right? Um, one, one is in particular, um, if you're out there and you need help, I'm telling you right now, 
Feeding Tampa Bay cares about you. They really, really do. I know it. I know that they care about you. And, and if you're struggling, um, then go and connect with them, right? They have access to a lot of other resources. Uh, their people genuinely care. And I'm telling you, no matter how bad it is, I know down the core of my soul that they're able to help you and they'll get you from point A to point B. I know it. There's just too many good people out there. They're really, I'm telling you, if you're a veteran, even a law enforcement officer, and you're struggling with this PTSD, if you're dealing with this trauma and you're at your wit's end, if you're in a dark place, I'm, I'm not just asking, but I'm, I'm begging. Reach out to SOF Missions, sofmissions.org. All you got to do is get on the website, click on apply, check out the video. It doesn't matter you know, what rank you were. It doesn't matter if you're honor, honorable discharge or dishonorable. It doesn't matter. Man, you served. We'll take care of you. Um, so, no, and, and don't say, well, somebody else needs it. That's a lie. Let us help you. And for all of you other listeners out there that maybe you're not struggling with food, maybe you're not, maybe you're not struggling with, you know, the challenges of life and, and you're super blessed. I'll tell you what, we would love your support. Feeding Tampa Bay. How many people you feed every day? I mean, when you told me like the tons of food, <laughs> yeah. how many yeah. do you got there? Yeah, we will probably serve somewhere around 90 million meals this coming year. Did you hear that? <laughs> That's almost 100 million meals. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I'm telling you, there's nothing like starving. There really, really isn't. There were times that I did not know if we were going to eat. And I'm just so grateful that there were good people organizations like Feeding Tampa Bay that helped us. Um, so if you're out there and you can provide any kind of support, I'll tell you what, a monthly donation, even a $5 a month goes a long way. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. just for five bucks, that provides a meal if you could do that. And, uh, and of course, you know, for our organization at SOF Missions, you know, if you're passionate about veterans, check us out. Um, there's a lot of really good organizations out there. And we, you know, with great power, comes great responsibility. We just want to help out as many people as possible. That money doesn't go, you know, in Matt Spence's, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, pocket. Doesn't go in Janice. Nobody. It doesn't go in mine. This money literally goes into those individuals that need help. A hundred percent guarantee. A hundred percent. We love service. We love helping, and we love empowering people so that they can find peace and joy. And who knows, maybe one day some happiness. Hmm. Amen, brother. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then <laughs> can't can't even follow that. So, Dr. Damon, thank you so much for joining us mm-hmm. and giving us your time today. We yeah. often talk about food a mm-hmm. lot in yeah. this podcast and mm-hmm. ask those questions. Yeah. They, it, it wasn't relative in this situation. <laughs> but we know we've talked about our new um, podcast studio, mm-hmm. actually production studio. Can't so wait. close to the end of the year, once we're solidly in there, we're going to have you come back and we're going to talk awesome. about who we've helped together. So thank you. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah, I, I'm just so grateful to uh, be on this podcast. But I, but most importantly, I'm just grateful to, um, you know, lock arms with other leaders. It's uh, This world is a very selfish world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in closing, I just want to share that one of the hardest parts about transitioning from the military is I was surrounded by men and women that are passionate about service. They're passionate about um, serving others. And then you get into the real world and people just, yeah, the majority just care about themselves. You know, they, they care uh, about just, you know, uh, more uh, retirement money, a, a bigger house, a, a nicer car. Uh, you know, they work around the clock to buy that next role, whatever it is. And, and they forget about the people that, you know, just didn't have the luck or just made some poor choices. And, um, and they're, they're struggling. They're just trying to figure out how, how, how to feed their family. 
you know, um, the economy is challenging. It is. It goes up. It goes down. It's hard to hold jobs at times. And um, it's just super important that um, everybody out there understands that um, this world is a challenge, but there are some good people. That's right. There are, I, I like to call us Avengers. Hmm. Like, we are legitimately Avengers in our own right. You, ma'am, have a superpower that nobody else has. You, sir, have a superpower that nobody else has. Me, I have a superpower. And you, hmm. you have a superpower. All four of us, we have a superpowers. But you know what? Individually, we're not really able to make the mark in this world. But together as Avengers, yes. that's right. now that's when yes. we become unstoppable. Together, we can beat those big forces. We can take out that big giant. And so I just want to say thank you, Matt. Thank you for doing what you're doing. When I met you and you told me about your journey and why you're at Feeding Tampa Bay, I, I went home and I just thank God um, for introducing you, uh, you know, to us together because it gets lonely. It does. And it makes me sick always dealing with people that have all this money and don't care about humanity. It just does. And when I try to share like the importance of sharing those great resources, I mean, it's a thimble. Mm. It doesn't even affect their lives at all. Yeah. Um, it just, it bothers me, but it's great to meet a man like Matt and the goodness that you brought to Feeding Tampa Bay and all the other places that you've been at. Thank I really, you, really appreciate yeah. you, man. I really do. I appreciate our friendship. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast and introducing me to your friends. I look forward and putting a dent in the enemy. That's right. Yep. Right. I look forward in ending hunger in Tampa Bay. I look forward in ending suicide. I look forward in bringing hope and purpose to a lost and broken world. And I look forward to doing it with you. We're going to lock shields and get it done. That's mm -hmm. right, brother. Absolutely. We're getting it done. So thank, thank you, guys. You. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you again for being yeah. here. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Stick a Fork in It. And uh, that's a wrap. That's right. And Godspeed. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Feeding Tampa Bay.